0: you are listening to the mythical jesus podcast taking the christ of faith seriously a podcast that dives into faith development cognitive development using jesus as the framework for that we dive deep into the jesus of the new testament showing him as the preeminent example of development and what that development looks like buckle your seatbelts Sit back, enjoy the ride. This is going to be a lot of fun because diving into the Jesus narrative has never been done like this before. You can visit our website at Christoffaith.org. On the site, you will find tools, resources, documents to help you in your faith development and to better understand Jesus, the teacher, and his role in that. And now, onto what you've been waiting to hear. Come of Welcome back to the Mythical Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for this chance to sit with you today and to have this conversation. Again, just a reminder, please make donations. This is how the podcast survives. Second, we are in the midst of working towards having interviews with various authors and speakers, people in the religious community Uh, who are well thought of in these ideas of development and of looking at Jesus with new eyes. That is something to look forward to. Again, we've already interviewed John Shelby Spong. That interview will kick off our uh, our, our direction of doing interviews, and that will be on New Year's Day. John Shelby Spong. Lastly, if you have an interesting story, reach out to me. B-I-L-L R-E-E-L-J-R at gmail.com. Bill Real Jr. at gmail.com. Would love to do interviews with listeners who have had faith journeys where they've had to wrestle with all of these things and move out of black and white thinking and take back their own authority. Would love to hear those conversations. I think listeners get a lot of value out of hearing how others have deconstructed their religious world how they've grown in consciousness, and what they're doing with that. Today, we are in Mark chapter 4, verse 30 through 34. This is the parable of the mustard seed. So uh, this is what it says. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say any t- anything to them without using a parable, But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Again, we have this idea that Jesus is explaining everything to his disciples in private. And yet we know that the writings of the four gospels come quite late to the point where it almost assuredly is the next generation or even two or three generations later that are putting uh, ink to paper and writing these things down. So I think we at least need to hesitate a little bit when we see these interpretations. And the reason I offered that last time was because I want the ability for each of us to wrestle with the stories of Jesus in our own way. In other words, when we go to church, and most Christian churches tell these stories and say, this is the story And here's the meaning. And for me, I feel like whoever Jesus was, what he wanted was for us to wrestle with ideas and to find our own truths within them. So here we have the story of the mustard seed. One has to wonder about the historicity of the interpretation of the stories, as I mentioned. In other words, the great thing about parables is that people can individually take unique meaning from such a thing. And I think Jesus knew that. Jesus, the public teacher, seems to understand this and often teaches in parables. Yet, we humans in a binary, dualistic mindset feel the need to know the answer. We're not good at that stage of development, Of sitting with the question. We want answers. We want specific answers. We want detailed answers, and we want them now. Questions bother us, and only answers are settling. This pushes me to wonder if the New Testament authors imposing to the reader that Jesus always later on explained the specific meaning of each parable to his apostles or his disciples, is an afterthought, an embellishment of the story. In fact, me wonders if Jesus intentionally taught parables, leaving space for people to take wisdom within their own perspective, at their own layer and experience, and that Jesus never intended, nor did he give his parables a specific meaning. Such seems more wisdom-based. Do you see this? Take a hundred people, each of them at their own level of development. The whole point in teaching parables is because the teacher realizes that his crowd is at various stages of development. The reason to teach parables is with the recognition that everyone who's listening is pulling from a different layer of understanding. When you look at a room and you sense that, and you teach with parables, there is great wisdom in that teacher. And Jesus seems to encapsulate that beautifully. So, I'm simply suggesting that you at least make space in your mind that Jesus understood that when he spoke, that people who listened to him speaking were at various places in their own journey and at various stages in the developmental model. And when one recognizes that, parables is one of the most beautiful ways to teach. Such is more wisdom-based. The author who based on biblical scholarship was never in those intimate inner circles to personally hear the interpretations had they been given and hence as an outsider sharing only what insiders heard makes me skeptical from a different angle as well in other words the author seems more binary the author wants there to be one specific interpretation or meaning and so he places as telling his disciples and apostles in private settings, the specific meaning of each parable. But that doesn't feel like what a wisdom teacher does. A wisdom teacher often imparts something from which many meanings can be taken and allows their student to grapple with it at their own stage, at their own layer. So with that said, I want to do a couple of things here. One is I want to have a conversation with you. For those who are listening, if you're still in ethnocentricity, at least on some level, maybe you only have one foot still in there, you're going to be resistant. And so I'm prefacing this with I'm about to make you uncomfortable and probably already have throughout these episodes. And so thank you for sticking with me. But I'm about to make you uncomfortable because here's what I'm going to say. If you have a foot still in ethnocentricity, you're, you're, still, you're still requiring an allegiance to Christianity. You still require that while we can sit here and say, like, other traditions have wisdom, but Christianity is where the truth is. And I'm going to push back on that and simply say that, and I'm only being from my own personal perspective, but from my personal perspective, all faith traditions offer truth and wisdom in varying degrees. And they also contain harm and unhealthiness and manipulative mechanisms as well. So they each have something to offer and they each fall short. And if you can work with me a little and be willing to be uncomfortable with with my sharing with you that other traditions have deep value to offer and that there is wisdom in those other traditions and in some cases, maybe even more wisdom if you can make space for that, like real space where you can sit and listen and really want to be hungry for the wisdom that is in other traditions, then you're going to find that your growth in the things that I'm talking about is accelerated. So with that said, I want to share with you some parables that come from other traditions. And I won't give any meaning for them, only to share them so that you can hear it, sit with it, and perhaps after this podcast is over, spend some time, perhaps even in meditation, wrestling with it. And it's my hope that as you, as you listen to these, that you can appreciate both the strength of a parable as well as the tradition from which it comes, which is outside of your own tradition. In Buddhism, there's a famous parable called the Parable of the Mustard Seed. It is found in the foundational text of Theravada Buddhism. It revolves around a woman named Kisa Gotami, who lived during the time of Buddha's life when he had already achieved nirvana and was traveling to impart his teaching his teachings upon others when in the, in this other tradition in Buddhism and and I would simply add that these eastern traditions which Christianity comes out of by the way these eastern t- traditions are older they're more ancient They've had more time to sit with these things. And so there is great wisdom in many of these Eastern traditions. It's also important to note that when we say the Buddha has achieved nirvana, I would simply want to frame that for you as in the Buddha has woken up. He has wisdom within himself. He's claimed back his own authority. He no longer sees the world in black and white ways. He's moved into a later stage of development and consciousness so that he has something solid in which to turn around and to offer to those who are, for a lack of better words, behind him in development. Here's the parable. Kisa's only child, a very young son, had died. Unwilling to accept his death, she carried him from neighbor to neighbor and begged for someone to give her medicine to bring him back to life. One of her neighbors told her to go to the Buddha, located nearby, and to ask him if he had a way to bring her son back to life, bringing the body of her son with her. Kisa found Buddha and pleaded with him to help bring her son back to life. He instructed her to go back to the, her village and gather mustard seeds from the households of those who had never been touched by death. From those mustard seeds, he promised he would create a medicine to bring her son back to life. Relieved, she went back to her village and began asking her neighbors for mustard seeds. All of her neighbors were willing to give her mustard seeds, but they all told her that their households had been touched by death as well. They told her the living are few, but the dead are many. As the day became evening and then night, she was still without any of the mustard seeds that she had been instructed to collect. She then realized the universality of death. According to the Buddhist verse, her story comes from, she said, It's not just a truth for one village or town, nor is it a truth for a single family, but for every world settled by gods and men. This indeed is what is true impermeance with this new understanding her grief was calmed she buried her son in the forest and then returned to buddha she confessed to buddha that she could not obtain any of the mustard seeds he had instructed her to collect because she could not find even one house untouched by death So there's another parable about a mustard seed or the lack thereof. Parables have great wisdom to teach us, but if we stop to tell the person across from us what to take from the parable, we have done the parable injustice. When we assume the person listening to our words, needs the same meaning we took. We do the parable in justice. Here is one more. This parable is titled The Man Born Blind. There was a man born blind and he said, I do not believe in the world of light and appearance. There are no colors, bright or sombre. There is no sun. No moon, no stars. No one has witnessed these things. His friends remonstrated with him. But he clung to his opinion. What you say that you see, he objected, are illusions. If colors existed, I should be able to touch them. They have no substance and are not real. Everything real has weight. But I feel no weight where you see colors. A physician was called to see the blind man. He mixed four simples, and when he had applied them to the cataract of the blind man, the gray film melted and his eyes could see. The Tathagatha is the physician, the cataract is the illusion. And the four simples are the four noble truths. The Tathagatha is the Buddha, by the way. It's a honorary title for the Buddha. And in this story, as it points out, the cataract is the illusion. And the four noble truths that are spoken of The Four Noble Truths in Buddhism is, one, suffering. Life always involves suffering. Two, the cause of suffering. The cause of suffering is craving and fundamental ignorance. Number three, the end of suffering. The good news is that our obscurations are temporary. They are like passing clouds that obscure the sun of our enlightened nature, which is always present. Therefore, suffering can end because our obscurations can be purified and awakened mind is always available to us. The fourth noble truth, the path. By living ethically, practicing meditation, developing wisdom, we can take exactly the same journey to enlightenment and freedom from suffering that the Buddhas do, we too can wake up. So with that, there's a couple of parables from another tradition. I could tell you what they mean, and maybe you and I would even attain the same meaning from them. And don't get me wrong, there is value in sitting together and conversating about such stories and sharing with each other the insights that we get. But at the same time, there's also value that when the last word of the story is said, that you meet those who listen to your stories with silence and you give them the time and space to wrestle with such things to let their mind go into the various stage and layer that they are at and to derive their own meaning from them until next time this is bill real and the mythical jesus podcast where we take the christ of faith seriously you can find us at christoffaith.org